It almost feels as though you and I met a very long time ago. It does, does it not? It sure does. Back then, you were terribly embarrassed by my many temptations. It was rather adorable. Well, back then, you only drank about half as much as you do now. And you would not have spoken to me in such a manner. <laughs> yes, it is bizarre. <laughs> bizarre is a good word for it. Normally, it is much more enjoyable for me to travel and move around in my wolf form. It's easier to chew meat as well. See, I'm not yet used to these cheeks. <sighs> these are tiny things. However, hmm? I believe I shall be able to find a way to dwell inside this form a while longer. When you're in that form, you get drunk faster. You are an ass. You are an ass. Where? He is there. There is the ass. You should have more to drink. <laughs> you are forgiven. Howdy y'all, and welcome back to the Treehouse Anime Club. My name is Dave, and this is my podcast where I talk about anime production and the fine folks who make it all possible. Today's episode will cover the making of Spice and Wolf, a 13-episode series from 2008 with a second season in 2009 based on the light novels written by Asuna Hasakura and the illustrations by Ju Ayakura. Spice and Wolf was directed by Takeo Takahashi with animation produced by Studio Imagine with season two handled by Brainspace and Marvy Jack. Now this episode will focus on season one from 2008 as I find its ending more standalone than the very much cliffhanger ending of season two. But again, feel free to go straight into season two if you are interested and you like what you hear. Or again, if you are like me, and you want to revisit Spice and Wolf. I ended up watching both seasons for the podcast, but I wanted to cover season one in particular just because of how unique I found the production story of this one, even though a lot of, I do mention the people who did return to season two, including Takayo Takahashi, uh, despite the studio changes. And as of this recording, we are merely months away from the newest anime entry for the Spice and Wolf franchise at this point, which is Merchant Meets the Wise Wolf. But I've been a fan for many, many years, and so this is my chance to kind of put in my two cents on the my, my journey with the Spice and Wolf anime before we go into this new property. So I hope you look forward to all of that, but before we can look at the world through apple eyes or cut ourselves a slice of sunshine pie, I got to do the thing where I promote the show. So the Treehouse Anime Club is on the air, courtesy of Spotify for podcasters. We are available on most major providers. You can also copy the RSS link into your platform of choice if you cannot find it on our homepage. We post new episodes twice a month, usually on the first and third Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time. We have a Instagram and threads. You can follow along at the Treehouse Anime Pod. You can stay up to date with the show, plus extra goodies. We also have a free Discord server. You can follow our link in the Treehouse Anime Club Instagram bio page, or you can follow the link that I include in our Spotify or in our episode notes, I should say. I would also appreciate it if you left a review on whatever platform you're listening from. You can also leave comments under each episode on Spotify. Any and all engagement really helps the show, but most importantly, I'm glad you decided to make my show about Japanese cartoons part of your day. Speaking of Japanese cartoons, I've been watching quite a lot of them in the past week. I had a solid week of being frozen into my house for about two days. So with all the winter weather coming in, 
my area didn't get hit with snow per se, but we were certainly like literally iced in. My driveway was solid black ice, so I really couldn't leave my house for about two days before the roads were good enough to not risk sliding off into the ditch immediately. And my, I don't even have a slope in my yard. It's just that's how icy it was. Like I really couldn't trust my vehicle to keep me safe on these Mississippi roads. We are not equipped to handle just pure ice. So on top of getting into the swing of the new year, that was uh, that was a fun last week, and I caught up on, uh, you know, I found the silver lining, so I caught up on a lot of the big shows that I uh, missed or fell behind during the fall season, and then I also watched a lot of shows and continued some of my shows that I talked about on my bonus episode on my winter preview, and I'm also in the middle of prepping a lot of my guest interviews that are upcoming which will be trickling in throughout the year. I'm just pre-recording a a few to meet my guests' schedules better. I talk about this a little bit more in my most recent bonus episode. It's about 25 minutes long. It was just my 2023 wrap-up and my plans for going into this year. Uh, The long and short of it is uh, last year, 2023, was my Hello World, This Is My Podcast, This Is Me, How Are You Doing? So a lot of my bonus content was around getting to know me better and getting to know the community better. This year, it's going to be more digging into my deeper catalog of properties. I have a lot more episodes to work with. I am kind of digging deeper into my back pocket for a wider variety of properties. And uh, again, I'm going to have more guests on the show and it's going to be, I have a lot of big plans for this year, but the main thing I'm trying to do is just stay consistent and still play around with a little bit with the format while keeping it fun. You know, I don't want to settle into just a generic pattern. That being said, I've been very busy this month. January January has been a very busy month, and I suspect February will be as well as I continue to pre-record a lot of content and then work on editing a lot of uh, multi-track audio, which is a new, slightly new venture for me. I had a, have a little bit of experience from episode 13 where I had my first guests on the show, so I was working with three audio tracks at once. Yeah, that was very fun, so I learned a lot from that experience, and it, it really was a fun episode, just uh, working with it and figuring out that workflow. You know, I'm, I'm all about the new experiences. Uh, getting back to some of the shows that I've watched, I, again, I have been watching a lot of shows from the new season, mostly checking out the first two episodes or so. I... I think I'm in love with this show. It is a new super robot series, uh, Brave Bang Brave Arn. So funny. It is so self-aware. Just about every sort of in-joke that you can make about just the general ridiculousness of a premise of the super robot series sets itself up, itself up as like a very serious show. And then all of a sudden you have basically a transformer. Well, yeah, yeah. Brave Arn does transform. So he is basically a transformer. Comes screaming out of the sky going, I'm here to save the day. And just everybody around our main character is just, you know, on their last legs, you know, just completely flips it on its head. And the robot even has its own, it starts playing its own theme song in the middle of the fight. So our poor main character is just having to deal with all of this, both the traumatic experience of the battle that he's like about to die in. And then this robot comes in and is like, climb inside me. You're my new pilot now. And now we're listening to my theme song and you need to shout our special move together. And the guy's going, what is our special move? I good question. I'm going to tell you our special move now. So shout it with me. Like Brave Arn is so ridiculous and fun. I, I think I'm in love with this show. To kind of flip the script entirely, I am looking into a, another show. It's a dark fantasy called The Witch and the Beast. It's uh it's an adult cast, and so it's about this ragtag group of folks 
basically dealing with curses and witches in this really dire, dark world. Also killing these said witches in spectacularly uh, gory fashion. Some all about a good slasher anime. And then the characters all have these really cool designs and I like the vibe of it. So we'll see how it goes. I'm down for uh, something dumb in the completely different direction. And there's also one more, a a show called Giri, which is an original series by Studio Mappa. And it looks like a just early 2000s mama manga. But this is a delinquent fighter series with a healthy dose of comedy where we have a classic setup of our protagonist who just wants to study. But because of the high school that he transferred to, it's basically just full of guys who just want it as well as two rival gangs who are both getting to constant fist fights over who's the strongest that, you know, they want to rule the school. So you've got this, you know, book book wise nerd in the middle of them. And, but he somehow ends up getting the, getting possessed by a genie who's all about fighting. And, and then the genie also powers him up during fights. So there, of course you have the classic setup of he's getting his butt kicked and then he, lets the genie possess him, and then he unleashes this massively powerful punch that sends dudes flying. And so now both of the rival gangs are trying to recruit this kid because they're like, holy crap, he just sent that dude flying. We need him on our side. So it's a classic gag setup. Also, he's the only person who can talk to the genie. So anytime this guy basically have a spirit, like the genie from Aladdin, just about, you know, kind of like, hey, let's go fight that guy. Ooh, that guy looks strong. Let's go fight him. And so he's constantly bugging our protagonist who's just like telling the genie to shut up. But of course, everyone in the class is like, he's telling us to shut up. This guy's a badass. So it's it's one of those classic show setups. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, the, the fight choreography so far, it's not going to be anything like Jujutsu Kaisen or, or anything like that. This is definitely leaning more towards the comedy side, but I am interested to see where it's going to go. So we'll see how the season pans out. That's kind of what I am looking forward to or kind of adding on to my plate with the winter season. For the most part, I'm just kind of going with the flow, you know, with all this inclement weather incoming and keeping me indoors anyways, this will be a good time to chip away the backlog and basically the front log in between, uh, you know, after I get off of work and in between working on episodes. So a little bit of a long-winded intro segment. We This is also a kind of a quiet week for comments on the episode. You know, most of it was hey, you know, I'm looking forward to the episode. I haven't really seen Spice and Wolf. Or, you know, it's been several years since I've seen Spice and Wolf, and I'm looking forward to the episode. You know, comments like that. So thank you to those who did write in. I hope to give you all a reason to go back and check out the original run of Spice and Wolf. Or maybe you would rather check out the light novel or check out the manga. You know, I just really like this show. I've been a fan of it for a long time, and I've been waiting for something new in the Spice and Wolf anime space for you know over a decade. So this is going to be, this was a fun episode for me to put together. And it was a good excuse for me to allot time to watch the original run of Spice and Wolf as well. So I'm going to play a little bit more music and then we will get into our main topic. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Spice and Wolf follows the adventures of Kraft Lawrence, a traveling merchant peddling various goods across the towns in a nondescript medieval European country. 
which I don't believe is ever named in the anime, but might have been name dropped in the manga, certainly in the original light novels. Lawrence's main goal in life is to gather enough money to open his own shop and basically establish himself in a town. When he spends one fateful night outside the town of Paslo, famous for its wheat harvests, he finds a young woman sleeping in his wagon. She introduces herself as Holo, the legendary wolf town deity of the harvest, and a being over 600 years old. Although she has blessed the town for centuries with good harvest of wheat for many years, the townspeople have forgotten her over time and have found ways to increase their yields without her help. And worse, they even blame her for being a fickle goddess for the few years that she lessened the wheat yields to allow the soil to rest. And all of this increasing Holo's feelings of betrayal and isolation and homesickness. Because of these changes, Holo wishes to return to her homeland in the north, called Yoitz, as she believes the people of Paslo have forsaken her and the promise she made with them all those years ago. Holo also wishes to travel and experience the new world now that she is no longer bound to one place. Thus, Kraft Lawrence and Holo strike a bargain, and their journey begins. As they travel, Holo's wisdom helps increase Lawrence's profits, but they must also be careful not to reveal Holo's true nature as the church is all too eager to uncover and burn demons of the old world, as Holo is misconstrued to be. Spice and Wolf the anime is based off the series of light novels written by Isuna Hasakura with illustrations by Jun Ayakura. Spice and Wolf was Hasakura's debut work. Volume 1 was submitted first to the publisher Asi Media Works in their 12th Dengeki Novel Prize in 2005, where it was awarded the Silver Prize, or the third place overall, third place grand prize. After that, we have 17 novels published for the main series, starting in February 2006 and concluding in July 2011. And in 2008, Spice and Wolf was licensed by Yen Press for English distribution. And before we go further, yes, Yen Press confirmed with the licensor that Holo's name is indeed Holo, not Horo. Uh, the Japanese language sometimes struggles with L's. So the English translations hit the market starting in December 2009 and concluded in April 2016. There's quite a bit more produced as side stories, sequels, but I'm saving those entries for the release and reception portion near the end of the main topic for to kind of help the episode flow a little better. Hasakura-san was interviewed shortly after, an, after the anime's premiere episode where he talks about his inspiration for the Spice and Wolf novels. He's always been fascinated by economics and also read a particular book called Gold and Spices, which describes the economic history of medieval Europe. And of course, yes, the, the Spice and Wolf title is directly inspired by this name. He also mentions a manga by the title of Sakuran, written by a woman named Moyoko Ano. Uh, Sakuran follows a young woman who is sold into the red light districts of uh, Yoshiwara and trains as a courtesan. And I look at it in like a similar vein to if you think of like the novel or film uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, it's kind of like that situation. And from this manga, Hasakura was interested in the formal way the courtesans uh, spoke to their customers. So he put that manner of speech into Spice and Wolf for Holo's character to express like her, both her maturity and her playfulness. And subsequently, Holo's voice actress, Anikoshi Mizu, also spoke in that formal manner of speech. The anime made sure to keep that detail from the light novels. 
So let's talk about the studio rundown. This is going to be a rather unique talking point for this episode because Spice and Wolf, the anime, was produced by a studio called Imagine, which was founded in 1992 by a man named Akio Sakai, who got his start as an animator at Mushi Productions around 1970. He started on like in-betweens, then he moved on to Studio Live, or Live, as key animator. Uh, some of the projects he worked on are Aim for the Ace in 1973, he worked on Yatterman, and 1979's Cyborg 009, he was the Chief Animation Director's Assistant as well as an animation unit director on top of storyboards and key animation. He had a brief stint at Studio Madhouse. He worked on Barefoot Gen 2 in 1986, Wicked City in 1987, and Demon City Shinjuku in 1988. Also, a fun side note for 1986, he was the animation director on several episodes of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, produced by a small studio named Pan Media, which was mainly a subcontracting studio. And so this is their only main series, uh, practically. And so after founding Studio Imagine, uh, Akio Sakai mostly stepped into the role of an animation producer as the going into the 2000s. And for much of its existence, uh, Studio Imagine primarily did animation assistance for the bigger studios, and a fair amount of Studio Madhouse series are represented in this catalog as well. So to name a very few series, Imagine assisted on key animation for Ice Shield 21, Full Metal Alchemist, Hajime no Ippo, Cardcaptor Sakura, Gunslinger Girl, and Rosen Maiden. And Imagine Studio ended up producing a few anime series under its name. Uh, these are mostly very niche, like Otaku Echi series, uh, all about a bunch of shows like you know featuring the pretty girls, and also with assistance of the more established studios that it helped. So in 1999, we start off with Z-Mind with assistance from Studio Sunrise. And then in 2002, we have a series called Rizalmain with uh, co-produced with Studio Madhouse. And then there are three series in 2004 in conjunction with Studio Live or Studio Live. Uh, you have the Cause Prayers or the Cosmopolitan Prayers, uh, Smash Hit and Love Love. And then in 2008, we get Spice and Wolf. And this is basically the last TV anime the studio produced it's not to say like the studio went out of business, far from it. It's more like Studio Imagine went um, <clears throat> underground. Because in the midst of producing these shows that I mentioned uh, during the 2000s, uh, Imagine also dabbled a fair bit in producing, uh, shall we say, 18 plus cartoons. And so in 2011, the studio went fully into adult animation, and it's basically split into several subsidiary labels, of which Imagine is the parent company. So some of these companies are like A1C, Primetime, Choo Choo, uh, Imagine Label, to name a few. These are all uh, these are all hentai labels. And funny enough, I had no idea this was going to be like part of the history of Spice and Wolf. So I, I do have to say, just to kind of break out from the topic for a second, like this has been a very interesting journey to research. You know, Spice and Wolf is a remarkably unique project in this catalog of works. I'm not going to name drop really any adult anime by name, so you don't have to worry about me just saying, just randomly talking about hentai series, but it is really hard to talk about the skill set of the people who worked on Spice and Wolf without at least giving some credit where this credit is due. So, of course, I assume we're all uh, mature enough here to understand a little bit of, uh, quote, art appreciation. So let's dive into this uh, fully. So Spice and Wolf's director is Takeo Takahashi, who also happens to be a big fan of the novel. So this is kind of like a dream come true for him in a way. 
Takahashi-san started his career in 1991 as an animator on such titles as Blue Seed, uh, Tenchi Muyo, Tenchi in Tokyo, and the Gravitation OVAs. He moved into animation director in the late 90s. He had, uh, there were, these were uh, two adult OVA series, then moved up to character designer and supervision on another uh, erotic two-episode OVA named uh, L in 2001. In 2002, he moved up to uh, assistant director on the half-length etchy series uh, Rizel Main, so that was uh, with Studio Imagine. And in 2004, he made his full series directorial debut with the Cosmopolitan Prayers. That was another half-length etchy series. He was also the director on Smash Hit and Love Love. Basically, from 2005 to 2008, before directing Spice and Wolf, he alternated between key animation storyboards and some episode direction on uh, regular and adult titles as well. So we have his involvement with Rosen Maiden, uh, Princess Resurrection, and Strawberry Panic. And those are uh, regular anime series. Those aren't hentai. So start. So again, aside from Z-Mind, this man basically directed all of the TV series anime output under Studio Imagine. And so Takahashi-san left Imagine to continue directing the Spice and Wolf second season, which was animated by studios Marvy Jack and Brainspace, so that's the 2009 sequel. And basically, he seems to have gone freelance for a while, jumping between studios until landing at uh, Studio Passion as the director of Roca, Braves of the Six Flowers, and that was in 2015. And he's since remained at Studio Passion and is currently attached to the upcoming series uh, Ishura, as well as Merchant Meets the Wise Wolf, which is Spice and Wolf 2024, a big reason that I'm doing this episode, but you didn't really need that much to convince me to do an episode on Spice and Wolf. But it does have to be said that, yes, this is, I'm kind of cashing in on all the hype around the 2024 series because I've been in the crowd that's been wanting a season three since 2009. Let me have this. Uh, Takahashi-san is also the representative director at uh, Studio Passion as well, so he's clearly established himself there in the years since. Moving further down the list, we have the character designer and chief animation director, Kazuya Kuroda. He debuted in 1988 as an in-between animator on Studio Gainax to the top Gunbuster. Plus, his, he just has prolific key animation work on Nadia, The Secret of Blue Walker. He worked on almost a quarter of the episodes in the show, plus animated uh, three short specials in between all of that other animation work on sailor moon and sailor moon s also the first two episodes of neon genesis evangelion as well as key animation for the film otako no video so a lot of early involvement with studio gynax and around that point his character designer debut came in 1997 on master mosquiton or mosquito it seems like it should say mosquito but i think it's master mosquiton 99 uh, he was also the character designer on the Sakurada Wars uh, OVA series. That's based off of the video game. But he also received a lot of notice for his work on uh, Vandred by Studio Gonzo, as well as its sequel OVAs. So that was from 2000 to about 2002. This is also his debut as chief animation director after the first season of Vandred. So this is an early indication of his animation style, even though Vandred's subject matter is very different from his approach to Spice and Wolf, but you can still see a few similarities. Uh, real quick, if you don't know, Vandred is this, I should say, rather interesting space opera, but also like comedy series, also featuring mechs. And it's basically a civil war between men and women. Yes, really. 
Uh, Kuroda's animation style and particularly his female character designs are what got the attention. You know, his female character designs are naturally very appealing in what's a pretty goofy show overall. A funny story, I actually used to own Vandred. Uh, Back in 2013 or so, Crunchyroll did this, uh, what they said, a $30 blind box containing 30 anime DVDs. And so like a sucker, I purchased this box while in college, you know, only to find out that, yeah, it was all basically like leftovers and junk from uh, Geneon. But I did have the first volume of Hajime no Ippo in there, plus a fair amount of Vandred. So I did check out the first couple episodes and then the DVDs that I did have, didn't really care for it, and I gave those away, you know, years and years ago. He returned to Gainax for animation work on Gunbuster the Movie in 2006, and after his work on Spice and Wolf, I mean, there's not much left for me to say in terms of TV animation, at least. He did do the character designs for Higurashi no Nakakoro ni Rei in 2009, I'd say that five times fast, but after that, all of his character design credits, at least, uh, frankly, it's, I mean, it's all porn. He's also worked, still working on TV anime a little bit on a few episodes here and there as like an animation unit director, but even a fair number of these series are kind of towing the line. Uh, the first one, Rail Wars, not so much, but it does have a fair amount of edgy service. More on the towing the line and kind of stepping over the line, you have like Worlds and Hiram and Interspecies Reviewers. But he also did key animation for the opening scene, uh, opening sequence to Rocka, Braves of the Six Flowers. So you've seen like between Rosa Maiden and then Rocka and a couple things like he's, he and Takahashi have worked together a little bit over the years. And I can certainly say that no one in Spice and Wolf is quite as busty as his characters from Vandred. It's a much more restrained approach where the clothing, it just both in the property and around the time, it is rather chaste for, 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 the, for the, it's period appropriate for, for the Middle Ages. Everyone's appropriately covered up. One thing that they did do for the first two episodes of Spice and Wolf, Polo is uh, indeed naked a couple of times in the show, particularly in the first two episodes, which is what the series kind of gets a little bit of flack for. But, and I mean like even just full frontal, but what they did is it's more like she's just drawn like a Barbie doll. She she has no nipples, and so there. And then her hair kind of go across goes across her breasts anyway. So it's kind of like for TV animation. So while that is indeed there, it's not a point that Polo just gets naked whenever the chance arises. It's more of just when she first meets Lawrence. You know, she's a wolf and doesn't really take a human form often. So it's just like she doesn't really care much for clothes. But it is something that. As she travels with him, she does recognize, okay, I need to do this to blend in. And she rather uh, gets attached to clothes. This robe costs two gold coins. Exactly. That is what they said at the store. Are you sure you do not buy clothes with gold coins and apples with silver? If that were the case, most of the townspeople would be naked. The clothing shop owner who sold it to you was probably just worried about whether he'd really get paid for it. Oh, I did not realize it was so expensive. Well, obviously. So for the next ones, why don't you pick out something a little cheaper? Cheaper? I am Holo the Wise Wolf. If I am caught in cheap clothing, it will ruin my good name. You know what they say, if one is truly pretty, she'll look good no matter what she wears. And so you kind of see what, I, what I'm getting at. Of course, there are plenty of opportunities for fan service in the show. Even in the manga where you have, if I, if I were to talk about the Spice and Wolf manga as a sidebar, even in that where all you have a uh, explicit content warning on the covers, you would think that there's just nudity everywhere, but there really isn't. There's barely any. Getting a little bit further, we have the script and screenplay by Naruhisa Arakawa, 
And on top of being a scriptwriter, he is also a lyricist for uh, anime theme songs. But this is the first ending to Dragon Ball Z. So it's sung by uh, an artist named Mana, but Arakawa-san wrote the lyrics. Additionally, he wrote the lyrics for the theme songs, the opening and or ending credits for the four Studio Imagine titles that I've mentioned, starting with Riz Main, you know, Love Love, Cost Prayer, Smash Hit. He also was the head writers, the series composer on those series. A few more series that he's been the head writer on. He's written for Blue Seed, Malyu Malyusha, and 2022's More Than a Married Couple But Not Lovers, which is his most recent credit for series composition in an anime, because aside from his anime work, he is also a prolific television writer for Tokusatsu series, so live action shows, since the late 80s. He's worked on Kamen Rider, as well as a ton of entries for Super Sentai, you know, i.e. the show that Saban used to create the Power Rangers over here. And in 2023, his most recent uh, writing credit, just in general, that I could find, he worked on Bakuryu Sentai Abaranger. 20th, The Unforgivable Fury. It's a 20th anniversary film for that Super Sentai entry, so the Bakuryu uh, Abaranger. And in some cases, he's even gotten to be the head writer on the anime and the live-action version of the same property. So check out uh, Steel Angel Kurumi. He did the script on the 1999 anime series, and then he came back for to write the live-action series Steel Angel Kurumi Pure in 2002. The art director is Toshihiro Kohama, who's maintained this position through the OVA as well as the Spice and Wolf Season 2. As of this recording, it's unconfirmed if he's attached to the 2024 reboot series, but I wouldn't be surprised. He also works for Studio Biho, who also is on the backgrounds for this show. Kahama-san did the backgrounds for the opening and ending credits on this show on top of his role as art director. And real quick, Studio Biho does uh, 2D and 3D backgrounds and environmental work. They assisted on Makoto Shinkai's uh, The Garden of Words, which, you know, absolutely insane uh, backgrounds and just art direction in general on that film. They've also done backgrounds for a very wide range of anime, including Season 2 of Spice and Wolf. They've also done 86 Pantheon stocking with garter belt and a film just about to be re-released in theaters. Actually, I believe it's playing right now as I'm recording this. They did the backgrounds for Gurren Lagan, Childhood's End. And so Kahama-san started around 2002 as a background artist, and he worked on episode three of Die Buster OVAs with Gainax. He came back in 2006 for backgrounds of uh, Die Buster the movie. He also worked on backgrounds for The Vision of Escaflone, Razafon, and Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. He is an art direction starting around 2004 with Tales of Fantasia, the animation, as well as F, A Tale of Melodies. That one's produced by Studio Shaft. Very colorful. Uh, He's also the art director on Yokai Watch anime series and a couple of movies, as well as the first three of the Persona 3 anime movies. I I didn't see him listed on the the fourth film. And for art design, kind of like art asset design, we have Yoshinori Shiozawa, also works with Studio Bihu also attached to the Spice and Wolf sequels. And so they started in 1997 on the three-episode OVA Gundam Wing Endless Waltz. Uh, they also contributed backgrounds and designs for the popular late 90s action anime Slayers, which is the movie uh, Slayers Great, another movie uh, Slayers Gorgeous, and the OVA series Slayers Excellent. And a few other really big series are recently with some excellent environmental work design. They've worked on Vinland Saga as well as Spy Family. And for color design, we have Hitomi Sano, also attached to the Spice and Wolf sequels, but not Studio Biho. But she's also followed director Takeo Takahashi across a fair number of his projects as the color designer. 
So she's been around since 2000. She was in charge of colors for uh, Rizal Main from Studio Imagine. Also, the first two episodes of the original Helsing OVAs from 2006. And a personal favorite of mine, she was involved with Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, which if you are a fan of drama of any kind, this is an absolutely amazing character drama series from 2016 involving performers who do the storytelling art of Rakugo. And for a couple of more of Takahashi's works, like I mentioned, she did color designs on Akisora, Mao Mao Yusha, and Roka Braves of the Six Flowers. And to talk about the world of Spice and Wolf and just the way that it's represented in the anime, and in particular, this is a time legendary for the obvious and clunky CGI work. There's really not a lot of 3D work, like obvious 3D stuff going on. You, of course, have like CG for like the wagging wheels, and there's some rolling environmental shots that are kind of CG, perhaps some buildings or gates, but it's all... Like it's mainly just a couple of art assets here and there, as well as when they need a dynamic moving background. The world is just really painterly overall, particularly the environmental work of the nature scenes as we are following our leads as they travel along the road. The wilderness is slowly becoming tamed by humans, but the roads still have plenty of room for adventure and danger along the way. And even for when Holo transforms into her giant wolf form, She's fully hand animated. You don't suddenly get this giant CG wolf. I think during her first transformation, there is a the, the, the effect of her transforming one of her uh, limbs into a wolf's paw is initially done in CG. But then again, the, the paw itself is 2D from what I, from what I remember. Uh, however, on the coloring side of things, there is this slight, I don't really bring this up as it's kind of like a modern industry standard nowadays, but Spice and Wolf is made during a time of where the anime industry is still transitioning. Uh, this is kind of like near the back half of it, but the anime industry is still transitioning somewhat from animating fully on cells to going like fully digital. So we're basically fully digital at this time anyways, but with um, the way Studio Imagine's done their other works, especially with this has mainly been a subcontracting and assisting studio. It's not quite as, I guess, like high budget as you would expect. So some of their coloring work is, and their, their tone work is a bit more obvious. It, it's hard to describe without pictures, but it's one of those things. It's the, it's the digi paint. There, there's just this distinct look where the shadows and the colors have this almost geometric quality about it, uh, depending on how well the colors blend. There's not a lot of blending between light and shadow, as you would think. Like, every shape is just a solid color. Just This is done in a much higher degree of complexity, but it is still noticeable. And I don't mind this look myself, because it's what I started, and it was what was common when I started to get into the anime fandom, and it does clash somewhat with the more realistically and hand-painted, uh, drawn environmental work of the countryside, and even some of the cities. But that being said, I'm not trying to dock any points from Spice and Wolf, the anime, but it is one of those things that has become more noticeable over time, especially as digital animation has continually improved over the years. The world of Spice and Wolf feels very grounded in a, in a way that's instantly recognizable as, yeah, this is some European country sometime set in the Middle Ages. However, there's no particular cultural designation, or at least not a very obvious one. It all just screams, this is Europe in medieval times. So even as some of the towns and locations kind of run together in our current age dominated by you know sword and sorcery uh, isekai series trapped in another world and the fantasy series spice and wolf is unique in how it approaches the premise 
which makes up for most of the locations being, you know, fantasy town template number 47, usually along some kind of river. Uh, Your stone hewn houses and your elaborate guild halls, the grander stone churches and cathedrals, your bustling market street stalls, then the humbler uh, village hamlets. Everything is well put together, but it's just a bunch of stone walled fantasy towns. I couldn't really tell you which town is distinct from this other town. However, even though the architecture isn't quite that distinct, given the episodic nature of the story, Spice and Wolf does set itself apart with the focus on how it lasers in on the economics between the towns, being the merchant guild halls, and then you have the where all the money changers hang out, also interacting with the various workers who move the product. So we also don't have the advantage of a map or lines and lines of dialogue like the light novel to tell us where we are in the journey. There is enough visual information around these towns to go like the, the the distinct environment to inform the industry and thus economy and what the next story arc might revolve around. There is enough visual information in the changing seasons and environment will work as well to inform me that yes, Lawrence and Holo are steadily making their way north. And so they'll mention town names and say, well, we're such and so far away from Yoitz. Okay, good. Now what's the story of this place? And let's get into some music, one of my favorite parts of this show. So Spice and Wolf soundtrack is composed by Yuji Yoshino, who most notably composed uh, Suikoden 2, the video game soundtrack. On the anime side, he is composed for Brigadoon, as well as Dot Hack, Legend of the Twilight, and a short form series, uh, Mary and Gally. He returned for the soundtrack on Spice and Wolf Season 2, but I couldn't find any other major composing credits past 2009 for anime series. His soundtrack work for Spice and Wolf is more of a traditional strings ensemble and traditional woodwinds. You have some handheld percussion thrown in there. It really gives the soundtrack a folksy atmosphere, even during the more action scenes. The violin work in particular is just excellent. It runs the gamut of, you know, light and airy and playful to suspenseful and even just downright tragic. It's a very unique musical style that further uh, gives Spice and Wolf that much more uniqueness amongst its fellow fantasy offerings. As you've no doubt heard through my selections that I've picked for this episode, I really enjoy this soundtrack. The opening credits theme is called Tabi no Tochu. Vocals are by Natsumi Kiora. She is a singer and actress. She's had a very successful uh, singles career as well as an album career as being the lead singer of the band Tweedies that she also formed in 2015 with uh, bassist Reiji Oki. Her acting debut came with the live-action tokusatsu version of Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon in 2003 as a character named Momoki Kimura, who, I, as I found, was like this friend of uh, Sailor Moon or Usagi, but she's not part of the Sailor Guardians herself. She's also done quite a number of anime theme songs starting in 2007, with both openings of Sketchbook Full Colors. Other songs include uh, Sergeant Frog, Scum's Wish, and Phantom of the Idol. The opening credits theme was composed and arranged by Tomohiko Kira, who composed the ending theme for one of the few isekai series I actually enjoy, uh, called The Twelve Kingdoms, as well as Cycle, the first ending credits theme for Ancient Magus Bride Season 1. And for the ending credits theme, we have a lot to talk about. It is called, the first off, the song is titled Ringo Biori, or the Wolf Whistling Song, which is a rather fun ditty. Also, this features illustrations by Ju Ayakura from the light novel. 
The lyrics are composed by Chris Mosdale, an award-winning British poet, lyricist, author, composer, vocalist, musician, and even an illustrator. He's born in 1949. I, I could do an entire episode on this man alone. Like He's written songs with Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Boy George. He's also worked with musician Yukihiro Takahashi and the Yellow Magic Orchestra, which helped usher in electronica, synth pop, electropop, some of the early foundations of J-pop even. And obviously he's a major influence on hip-hop. So his anime work just represents a literal drop in the bucket of uh, Chris's wider career. Yet I still find this an interesting footnote in terms of his uh, international collaboration. So let's talk about some of the examples of uh, Chris Mosdale's anime work. We have The Singing Sea, insert song from episode 10 of Cowboy Bebop, as well as Butterfly from Cowboy Bebop the Movie. Walking Through the Empty Age from Technolize. And uh, one of my favorites, uh, This is the End of All You Know from Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Uh, these are all songs containing English lyrics, including uh, the Wolf Whistling song. So a really interesting guy all around and very much worth this tangent, I think. Uh, Wolf Whistling song, the music was composed and the vocals were also done by the duo group Rocky Chak made up of Taro Yamashita and Noe, who also plays the piano for the song. They came back for the season two's ending song, Perfect World. As far as Rocky Chak specifically, I don't see anything else for the band after 2009, but both members have, of course, their own individual careers outside of anime work. And so as I move into my next segment and talking all about the actors, I will mention that this is going to be a relatively brief segment. Given the episodic nature of the series, there are a lot of side characters that just weave in and out of the story and don't really come up ever again because, again, this is a journey of Lawrence and Holo. So obviously I'm going to talk about Lawrence and Holo, and then I have two other side characters I'm going to cover who are as close to recurring characters as you kind of get for this show. First up, of course, we have Holo the Wise Wolf, the incarnation of the wolf goddess or someone who literally dwells within the wheat and as such, she carries a pouch around her neck as that is how she remains bound to the, the form that she's in. And Holo can take multiple forms, namely the form of a young woman. And of course, she can transform into her natural form, the giant wolf, as well as disappear entirely into a large bundle of wheat. Also, her power set, if you can call it that, revolves a bit around wheat, because in order to transform into her giant wolf form, which is something that she is very hesitant to do, not only because, of course, it would draw a bunch of attention to her, but it's also just something that, again, this is her natural form. She is an incarnation of nature, so her wolfy instincts kind of tend to take over when she's in that wolf form. But if she so wishes to transform, she either needs a bit of wheat to consume, or she can drink the blood of a human, so like Lawrence, for instance, if she really needs to. On the other side, when she is in her human form, she still maintains her wolf ears and her tail. She has various useful abilities, such as, of course, excellent hearing, and she can also, she's also very good at telling when someone is lying. So she's good for to have in a conversation, on top of just being very, very clever. Holo is typically very haughty and, of course, very self-sufficient, but due to her isolation for, you know, literal hundreds of years during her time at Paslo, she is prone to bouts of intense loneliness as she was alone for hundreds of years. 
and Lawrence is very aware of this and does his best to cheer her up in his own way. Polo has a particular way of speaking, which I mentioned earlier, modeled after that of the Oran high-class courtesans. Polo is also quick with a joke and a jab, often playing up at uh, Lawrence's tendencies to overthink situations, but mostly she just likes to banter and just kind of needle him. She is fond of delicious food and loves alcohol. Man, Holo can pound those things back, but she especially loves apples. Holo also has intense pride in her tail and takes special care of it, constantly combing and maintaining it. Holo is also very aware of the differences in their lifespans, and which adds an interesting tension to their relationship. You know, as this is a long journey and try as they might to deny it, you know, Lawrence and Holo do find themselves growing attracted to each other. It's a nice little balance of uh, haughtiness, but also, you know, genuinely caring. In Japanese, Holo is voiced by Amy or Ami Koshimizu. She is a musician as well as a voice actress. She's performed various theme songs for anime like School Rumble, Strike Witches, Sailor Moon Crystal, and Agent Aika. Her debut voice actress role was actually uh, Naja Applefield from Tomorrow's Aja, which is a coming-of-age series from 2003. She, uh, As far as her vocal performances, she's also been Colin Kozuki from Code Geass, Aika Sumaragi from uh, Agent Aika, Charlotte Yeager from Strike Witches, Sailor Jupiter from Sailor Moon Crystal, and Yukiko Amagi from Persona 4, uh, the video game and just everything. So she's done a very wide range, which is perfect for Holo as she kind of flops between, again, the well-put-together and the high-class and the haughty nature, and then just more flustered and down-to-earth girl. And not to be outdone, Holo is voiced by Brina Palencia in English, who also is Anna from The Walking Dead. She is the ADR director on the English dubs for School Rumble, uh, also Holic. She's also got a bit of musical direction as well as theme songs with the Dragon Ball Z series, uh, GT and Super. She also voices Chaotsu and Puar from Dragon Ball series, Rei Ayanami from the Evangelion Rebuild films, uh, Juvia Luxar from Fairy Tale, and Yuno Gasai, everyone's crazy murder waifu from Future Diary. And for Brina's part, while she can't exactly mimic the uh, high-class Oiran speech, she does give Holo perfect, that perfect amount of haughtiness and uh, high-manneredisms, but also, again, that, that down-to-earth nature. Next up, we have our main protagonist, Kraft Lawrence, our peddler extraordinaire. He, uh, he just mostly goes by Lawrence. He is a very confident person, but uh, also tends to get him into trouble. He also tends to overthink things. However, Lawrence is clever to a fault and uh, tends to be an easy target for uh, Holo's needling, but he can uh, give it back as good as he receives. And sometimes that means uh, Lawrence says something that's too far and then he has to apologize, like buy Holo some food or alcohol or clothes or whatever. Lawrence is also a natural born haggler. He's not afraid to manipulate people or to wheel and deal to get the better end of a bargain. And despite all the airs that he puts on, you know, Lawrence does look out for Holo and does, of course, come to treasure her company dearly. He's also intensely loyal as well. So while Lawrence is not a fighter in the martial sense, he fights with his words and he fights with his negotiation skills that sees him and Holo through whatever situation they kind of find themselves in. In a lot of cases, it's a, of course, it's a team up between him and Holo working it together. But it's usually like Lawrence who is working out contracts or working out trade negotiations. Really, the two of these characters are a real natural balance for the other. Uh, more on that in the review roundup, because I don't want to deviate too much from the voice actors in this segment. So in Japanese, Lawrence is voiced by Jun Fukuyama, 
Well, I'll start off with some fun voiceover credits. He's uh, done the voiceover for uh, Grant Gustin as Barry Allen from the CW's The Flash. He's also the Japanese voice for Bayek from Assassin's Creed Origins. Other video games and uh, some related media, we have he is the uh, Persona 5's protagonist all in all of the media that he's also shown up in where he has voice lines. Also, Roy from Smash Brothers Melee, uh, of course, uh, go, goes into Fire Emblem Heroes and Fire Emblem Engage. Just all of the voice lines for Roy and Smash Brothers and everything else. As a singer, he's done the theme songs. He's got a, done a couple of theme songs. Uh, the Vampire Dies in No Time, the first opening, as well as uh, the Horimiya, the Missing Pieces, but the Episode 7 ending theme in particular. It's a little side insert song. Very fun. He's also voiced some pretty major roles over his career, so I'm listing just three because these are kind of the, one of the more that I recognize the most. Uh, first off, we have Koro-sensei from Assassination Classroom, Yukio Okumura from Blue Exorcist, so you can hear him in the most recent season now. Of course, Lelouch from Code Geass, that is a humongous role. And in English, Lawrence is voiced by J. Michael Tatum, who's done a ton of work with Funimation on ADR and scripting. He adapted uh, Dead Man Wonderland screenplay, Attack on Titan Seasons 1, 2, and the live-action movie. He adapted Future Diary, as well as Free, Iwatobi Swim Club, and that's just a sample of what he's done. He's also scored some big roles over his career. Scar from Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Erwin Smith from Attack on Titan, and of course, one of my favorites, Okabe Rentaro, a.k.a. Owen Kyoma from Steins Gate. I love saying that. Also, another big uh, role that was just revealed, uh, J. Michael Tatum is the voice of Sid, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So good for him. So getting into our first of two side characters that I want to mention. Uh, First off, we have a woman named Chloe, and she is an anime original character designed by Kazuya Kuroda. She actually replaces a character named Yare from the light novels and manga, but she fulfills the same role. Yare is a farmer from Paslo and a regular dealmaker with his good buddy, Lawrence, and sort of a protege of sorts under Lawrence. So both Chloe and Yare are introduced early on in the story in the town festival of Paslo, where they, quote, catch the wolf by harvesting the last sheath of wheat and... In reality, that means that's the sheath of wheat where Holo is supposedly dwelling and where she is literally dwelling. And when Lawrence rolls into town, Holo is able to escape from that sheath of wheat into the wheat of Lawrence's wagon. In the light novels, uh, Yare suspects Holo of being the goddess from the legends as soon as he hears that Lawrence is traveling with a woman, with a mysterious woman, and he confirms it in Pazio, the, the first town of the first arc, really, that is also in the anime. Uh, so Yare avows his faith to the church and modern technology and attempts multiple times to turn Holo over to the church to basically be burned at the stake as a witch. But of course, in the anime, we're talking about Chloe, of course, who does uh, everything that I just talked about that Yare does. Chloe does the exact same thing, like action for action. Kazuya Kuroda created Chloe because he thought it would make the early tension between Lawrence and Holo more interesting if Lawrence's merchant protege were a woman, you know, a little bit more spice and spice and wolf, so to speak. But other than that first instance, everything plays out exactly as Yare in the light novels and the manga. So in Japanese, Chloe is voiced by Kari Nazuka, who's a singer and voice actress. She's done the theme songs for Strike Witches, 18F, 
and a Netflix series, I think like 2018, 2019, uh, Dragon Pilot. She is also the voice of Lynette Bishop from Strike Witches, uh, Invisible Girl, and Mount Lady from My Hero Academia, Nanali Lamparouge from Code Geass, and of course, Uta from One Piece, the mermaid from One Piece, I think is who that is. Uh, in English, Chloe is voiced by Jamie Marshy, who was also the ADR director on Spice and Wolf for the first four episodes, and she was also in charge for uh, ADR scripting on, all, on both seasons of Spice and Wolf. She's also done script and ADR direction on the Hitalia series, Space Dandy, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. She also voices Mount Lady from My Hero Academia, as well as we talked about her on our Soul Eater episode, this is Liz Thompson, as well as Shirley Yeager from Strike Witches. And no, of course, I didn't forget, she voices main girl uh, Rias Grimmery from the titillating uh, High School Double D. <laughs> Moving on, we have uh, our next side character, Nora Arend. Uh, I think that's how you say that. Uh, Nora is a shepherdess who works for the church and occasionally teams up with Lawrence and company. She does enter the picture midway through season one and kind of accompanies Lawrence and Holo with her sheep into the nearest town, but she ends up playing a pretty big role in the ensuing arc around that town. She pops up again during season two, and I have to say it is a nice, but between her and Chloe, Nora has more of the relationship dynamic with Lawrence of kind of growing to admire him, which is something that Holo is not really the biggest fan of, both for Nora basically representing the end, defending her church employers, as well as, again, her mild romantic interest in Lawrence. So Holo starts to smell some competition with this little shepherd girl. Also, uh, Nora's dog, Bayek, of course, recognizes Holo instantly and just will not leave her alone. Like, Holo has to basically uh, scare the dog away with a little wolfy glance every now and then before the dog eventually, you know, realizes that Holo is not a threat, you know, that Holo is on her master's side. So, a fun little dynamic between Holo and the dog, and then Nora, so nice little uh, semi-triangle, so to speak. In Japanese, Nora is voiced by Mai Nakahara, who is Nagisa Furukawa from Clanad, uh, plus the visual novels on the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation Portable, she also voices Namine from Kingdom Hearts and Juvia from Fairy Tale. She also has some theme song credits, but not a bunch. It's uh, I have two right here for Ah My Buddha and uh, Taisho Baseball Girls. That's a fun show. In English, Nora is voiced by Leia Clark, who has a fair amount of scripting and ADR work in her career on top of voice acting, but also a general vein you might let recognize of the kind of shows that she works on or um, How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift, my Dress Up Darling, and Yamada's First Time. Some of her voice acting credits, we have Blair Witch from Soul Eater, and more notably, Himiko Toga from My Hero Academia, which of course is nothing like the uh, mild-mannered and polite nature of Nora, our humble shepherdess. So next up, we of course have release and reception for Spice and Wolf, and there's quite a bit to get through, because Spice and Wolf has kind of turned into this big multimedia thing in its own right. So I'll just uh, start with the TV stuff and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. So Spice and Wolf premiered on January 9th, 2008 on the Japanese television network Chiba TV and it ran for 12 episodes until March 26. Now the DVD releases later that year and on my DVD release as well all have uh, 13 episodes. There was an extra episode exclusive to home video. So that is episode 7. And it's just a fun side story in the middle of uh, the action after our main arc. The anime was licensed for release in English by Katakawa Pictures USA and Funimation, 
uh, with the, again, the 13 episode DVD box set released on December 22nd, 2009. And then Spice and Wolf made its North American television debut on November 16th, 2010 on the Funimation channel. And just a quick note, I, on the manga and the light novels being like with the ASI Media Works, that is owned by Katakawa. So Katakawa, and then they moved it over to their English side. So I didn't say that on the beginning part, but all of this is under Katakawa's uh, umbrella as far as the licensing side of who Funimation was licensing from. So, of course, a second season was quickly greenlit, titled Spice and Wolf 2, which was another 12-episode series between July 9th and September 24th, 2009. Most of the animation staff returned with a few changes, so Kazuo Kuroro was out as the character designer and chief animation director. We had a new person in, but most notably, the studio changed hands from Imagine to Brainspace and Marvy Jack co-producing. The voice actors also uh, reprised their roles, so no changes there. Also, an OVA, uh, one, just a one-episode OVA, was released earlier in the air, uh, April 30th, 2009, I believe. This was bundled with a picture book, Spice and Wolf, Wolf and Gold Wheat. Funimation then licensed Spice and Wolf 2 for English home video with a release on August 30th, 2011, and an August 31st television debut on their Funimation channel. On September 11th, 2012, Funimation released a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack of both seasons that also included the April 30th, 2009 OVA as uh, episode zero, I believe, for the season two portion. And after that, I believe, yes, there was a classics release uh, under their classics label in 2014, also Blu-ray, DVD, combo pack. Now, as for where the anime left off, uh, both seasons of Spice and Wolf end on cliffhangers of a sort. But season two is particularly uh, dramatic, and this begins a long legacy of fans, including myself, continually uh, requesting and also speculating on further seasons for basically the next decade. And we would have plenty of reasons for speculation because this would come in waves as Spice and Wolf has enjoyed a unique position within the general cultural zeitgeist of the anime community. Thanks in large part to Holo's popularity as a character slash, you know, waifu figure, obviously, as well as the multimedia initiatives that have uh, come around on the various anniversaries, so to speak. So getting back into the light novels, again, the, the main series ran from 2006 to 2011 after enjoying, so that's about a five-year run with uh, 17 novels. With the conclusion of the light novels in 2011, this was our first big wave of speculation on top of the continuing English releases, which continued all the way into April of 2016. And also in 2016, as part of the 10th anniversary for the novels, the original novels release, we got the news that Isuna Hasakura was returning to the world of Spice and Wolf with new entries, as well as a sequel series, Wolf and Parchment, which followed uh, new characters and a new journey set about 15 years, I think, after the events of Spice and Wolf, bringing the total volume count to 24 on the Spice and Wolf main series, and I believe we're at nine volumes and counting for Wolf and Parchment. And of course, manga. We have to talk about the manga. Spice and Wolf was illustrated by seinen manga artist Keiko Kome, also under the Asi Media Works uh, seinen magazine Dengeki Mao, which began serialization on the November 2007 issue. He's also, some of his other works include Vivid Dread Operation and Kujibiki Unbalance. I believe those also have anime adaptations if you want to check them out. So all total, 
Keiko Kome's uh, manga adaptation of Spice and Wolf ran for 16 volumes that were published from March 2008 through February 2018. So naturally, Yen Press, who is the English distributor for the light novels, they got the license for the manga as well, which was announced as such during the, I believe, yeah, New York Comic Con 2009. And we got our last manga volume dropped in English in December 2018. So not too long after the Japanese manga. So pretty tight release schedule. And I'll go ahead and mention it here. We have a manga adaptation for the sequel series, Wolf and Parchment. This is by a new artist, uh, Hidori, which began serialization in the July 2019 issue of Dengeki Mao. And it is still ongoing. Of course, Yen Press has the English releases of those as well. I think we're up to, I think we're about one or two volumes behind on the Wolf and Parchment manga releases. Again, no anime announcement for uh, the Parchment manga as of yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get one in the future, possibly the near future. Holo, of course, uh, being a very popular character, is a very popular subject for figurines. She consistently gets new figurines in various outfits or in various states of uh, undress. And uh, yeah. And in 2016, we also got a, for, for the 10th anniversary, on top of the new novels being announced, we got a wedding dress figurine for Holo in celebration of the 10th anniversary. So, Spoilers for some of the end of Spice and Wolf, I suppose. Spice and Wolf has also received multiple video games, uh, mostly in like the dating sim, kind of like hangout with Holo genre. Uh, We had two on the DS in 2008 and 2009. Those are still uh, exclusive to Japan, but we did get fan translations. But we also have two VR titles in 2019 and 2021, respectively, and those are available for purchase. I see them uh, crop up on sale sometimes on the PlayStation stores, like PlayStation VR and VR 2, I think. And so in the middle of all of this, no further anime project, season 3 or otherwise, was remotely hinted at. But you can imagine that through all of these announcements and different things, like speculation would just, we got it in waves and just speculation was on the roof. Like surely they have to announce a season 3 this time. Nope. That is until, obviously, we had a new anime adaptation just announced on February 25th, 2022, as part of the uh, celebration of the light novel's 15-year anniversary. At the time, though, we didn't know if it was a season 3 or a remake, and the title was, of course, later revealed to be Spice and Wolf, Merchant Meets the Wise Wolf. This is produ- being produced by Studio Passion and directed by Hijori Sanpai, with Takeo Takahashi returning as chief director. So I can only imagine, as being a representative director at Passion as he is, I can only imagine at the strings that Takahashi uh, was able to pull in order to get this project greenlit. Uh, In a related note also, uh, two series Takahashi directed after the original uh, Spice and Wolf in the the season two, he had uh, Sanpei on assistant direction for these series, so we have Mao Yu Mao Yusha in 2013 and Roka, the Braves of Six Flowers in 2015. For what we do know, we do know that Kevin Penkin is attached to Merchant Meets the Wise Wolf as musical composer and Fukuyama and Koshimizu respectively return to reprise their roles as Lawrence and Holo. And the series is set to premiere in April of 2024 on TV Tokyo and other networks. And for those of us overseas, Crunchyroll has licensed the series. So we have one penultimate stop before the review roundup. I admit I've just dumped a ton of information on you. So let's take a breather and unwind with our little segment, The 15 Seconds of Fame, where I want to briefly highlight a series similar to my episode topic, 
that I think y'all will enjoy that was either done by the same director or something that might be related thematically. So obviously, uh, given Studio Imagine's uh, output, I'm not going to recommend anything uh, really from from them or particularly after Spice and Wolf. So instead, I'm going to recommend something directed by Takeo Takahashi. And even before I knew this series was directed by him, this was kind of first on my mind as uh, you will no doubt probably recognize from this musical clip or from the series I've been talking about just a few seconds ago. So I'm going to play the clip and we'll talk about it. So yes, this is from Maoyu Maoyusha, or uh, known over here as Arch Enemy and Hero, which is a 2013 series directed by Takahashi-san and set in a world where humans and demons are at war. The human's chosen hero uh, has infiltrated the evil Demon Queen's castle only for her to propose peace and an alliance between their two races. The hero agrees, and so we have the human hero and the Demon Queen embarking on a diplomatic mission across their world to negotiate various deals that will mutually benefit humanity and demon kin alike. This is more of a swords and sorcery flavored series than Spice and Wolf's uh, fantasy series, but you can immediately see the parallels, I hope, even with my little brief summary. But it also has to be said that Maoyu is also pretty upfront with its fan service, all things considered. I mean, the Demon Queen is practically spilling out of her dress. I think Maoyu kind of leans on this a- aspect a little bit to his detriment, but it is solid for a 12-episode series, and it is rather honest in the themes that it wants to tackle about mutual aid and reconciliation and striking bargains and negotiations. A lot of things that happen in Spice and Wolf, so it's not so much about uh, economics. Well, it is, it is also about economics, but it's also more just using it as a tool for diplomacy. So one more little bit of music for your listening pleasure, and then we will go into the review roundup. I want to say real quick, just to get this out there, that I did ostensibly focus on the first season as far as production notes, because as I started working on this episode, I quickly realized that the episode for Spice and Wolf was going to be a very different sort of beast than when I did my first episodes on like Trigun, which had uh, the series and then a movie in 2010, but that was a basically a full staff reunion of sorts over a decade later for the Badlands Rumble film. So a lot of things that I had to say about Trigun just carried over into Badlands Rumble, even like with the people. And it's also different from Violet Evergarden, which was a continuous production cycle with the same people from the series throughout the movies. And all I really had to change were the summaries and then some of the actors and a couple of different decisions. With Spice and Wolf, however, season two was 
there there were some people, and I did mention this in the main episode, of course, the people who I knew for certain came back for season two. And I probably could have done a better job of talking about who and who did not come back for season two. But the longest story is short is I thought putting in two more studios with Brains Base and Marvie Jack and then talking about the people who found it and kind of related to it. And then including the new people for season two, including new characters with everything that was already in this episode, I thought adding in more was just going to be too much information. So when I talked about the world design and the story beats, and then what I'm going to talk about here in the review roundup, everything that I have to talk about here, you can basically carry forward into season two. These are going to just be my overall opinions of this first anime adaptation of Spice and Wolf as a whole since I can finally finally look forward to the new adaptation in a few months, which I suspect to be a staff reunion of sorts whenever that list is published. As of right now, it is not of this recording. So I, I am interested to in looking through that list once it is published. So with that out of the way, I first got into Spice and Wolf as a series. I did know about it from, again, some anti-tubers at the time around, really around 2010, 2009, 2010, with uh, Glass Reflection in particular. He's a big fan of Spice and Wolf, but he, he did a two-hour uh, retrospective video a few months ago, I think right before the tail end. I actually could have been right at the beginning. Anyways, he did one in like December or November of 2023. You can find it on YouTube. It's very, it's readily available, where he basically did like a full breakdown of why he loves that show and just every aspect of it. And so I knew about it from his earlier reviews around 2010 or so. I thought I was in for a kind of cozy slice of life series. And that's kind of what I was in for. But then I was also not sure, even off of Glass Reflections, excellent review videos. I wasn't sure like what the whole like economics with sexy wolf girl show was going to be about. And it was very different from what I expected. I'm going to be saying that a lot. And so I watched season one in later high school and I circled back around eventually to watch season two when I was starting college or it was before starting college, really. I had uh, I'd made the college band and so we had band camp and things. Of course, it being summer during the day, I'm outside all day and uh, drumming and all that stuff. So it's very hot. Also, there's not a lot of students on campus anyways. Mostly I would go spend all day outside and then spend my evenings recuperating in my dorm room. So I basically had brought a list of anime that I wanted to check off before the semester started and I got too busy. Spice and Wolf was on that list. And so I started season two and then it just became a full series retrospective again in college during band camp while I was resting in the evenings. Because it's really not fair, I think, to say that Spice and Wolf is just about economics with Sexy Wolf Girl. Because like I said earlier, like there's hardly any fan service in this show. Despite everything, again, the manga has explicit content warning. There's hardly any nudity at all. It's it's more like the, the characters are also more grown up than your typical series. So like none of these are high school aged characters. These are all grown adults dealing with adult problems. So it's more accurate to say that. I think it's more accurate to say that Lawrence's knowledge of the economic system underpinning Spice and Wolf's world is the real way that you should approach this show if you have if you haven't seen it already. Lawrence basically uses his knowledge and connections to play the system and try to find shortcuts and loopholes and advantages in the market before his competitors, like any good merchant would. And so it really makes for this engaging scenarios where as Lawrence and Holo are traveling, 
he comes across various opportunities and also sometimes there's a problem that a town is facing because in in, in some stories the town is being exploited by some noble or uh, some other organization and so it makes for these scenarios where Lawrence repeatedly enters these various games of chicken against these uh, powerful individuals and institutions to try and change the balance of odds into something more into his favor. And so the action that we do get into is feels like very more like behind the scenes. It's more about Lawrence using, again, using his wits and Holo assisting and even then Holo taking charge. Because one of the things about her is, yes, she's very clever, but of course, she's a wolf goddess tending the land. She doesn't really have that grasp of she she gets the grasp of the concept of economics, but she doesn't know the inner workings like Lawrence does. But again, with her abilities to uh, of conversation and her cleverness and her being able to detect lies, she is kind of a trump card of sorts in these scenarios. And then it, she also serves to keep Lawrence humble because, again, he has a tendency to kind of get in over his head. So Holo is able to rein him back of sorts at different times. And so the action, so to speak, of Spice and Wolf is more about making the right deals at the right time, staying up to date with information, keeping track of allegiances and your various allies, also the various uh, economics of the regions, also, of course, sifting through the lies. The biggest struggles in this series are really about how regular people are up against institutions or even a network of institutions, say like the churches, the nobility and the merchant guilds. But then Lawrence also has to repeatedly work with the merchant guilds to get the leverage that he needs to make these larger deals when it is applicable. So there is no save the world or complete this epic quest. You know, the world of Spice and Wolf, for the most part, is doing just fine. There just happen to be various obstacles that bar our heroes in their particular journey from continuing north. And sometimes our heroes, i.e. Lawrence, raise these obstacles himself. There are times where his bets don't pay off. And there's uh, one scene in particular in the first season where he makes a terrible miscalculation. And all of a sudden, Lawrence finds himself in danger of being thrown into debtor's prison or worse if he doesn't find a solution and fast. And literally all the doors are being shut in his face, which goes into some of the more clandestine aspects. You wouldn't expect it, but in this humble little series about economics, you have even an entire uh, arc that results in this elaborate heist having to be pulled off. But at its heart, this is a classic tale of two people who meet through a strange circumstance to be sure, but they do decide to travel together because it's convenient to both of them initially. And through their journey, Lawrence and Holo grow to rely on each other. They complement each other's strengths and they help cover up each other's weaknesses. They really make a dynamic team. And one of the things that helps make this so well realized in this very, very grounded fantasy series, again, there aren't any monsters or big spirit things like Holo is about the most fantastic thing in this world. And another thing that helps really ground this series is there is a distinct lack of, you know, quote, anime style gags. And this is something that I was actually at the, re the request of the light novel author to the anime staff. Lawrence and Holo, you don't ever see them break model. You don't ever see them really go chibi or make silly cartoon faces. Nothing ever, like they always stay consistently on model. The environment never changes around them. Everything is played pretty much absolutely straight. There's also zero, you know, anime hairstyles or crazy anime hair color. You know, the blues and the pinks and the uh, green hair. There's none of that. 
Lawrence being uh, having like ash gray hair, even though he's uh, what he's like 25, I think 25 years old. Yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, I will say in terms of art style to talk about it a little bit more, the anime art style is pretty drastically different from the light novels and even the manga. The, in the light novels, you have these really round faces and like softer environmental work on the paper series. And this also includes with the manga. It is a little sharper, but the anime goes a bit further and more defined. So it does age up the characters to something that the Lawrence looks like 25 or like approaching 30. But it also means that these characters, and this is also kind of an indication of uh, Kazuya Kuroda's uh, character work, it kind of falls into this 2000s anime style camp. You know, it, thankfully without all the, the moe eyes, of course, but these are adult characters, but they don't really, like the, the light novel uh, art and even the manga art does look more distinct, but it also at the effect of making the characters look like barely out of their teens. So while I do think the anime went a little too far in just completely changing the style rather than making an homage to it, I think it still stands out on its own. So the anime has always been, of course, the anime is also very uh, a lot briefer in its story arcs than the manga and particularly the light novel, which just has lines and lines and lines of text and conversation. So many side characters are fleshed out that are just barely shown off. You know, that's just a classic thing of what gets sacrificed on the altar for adaptation to work as a TV series. That's not a knock against the show. But in terms of the anime art style going forward, I do find myself looking forward to uh, Studio Passion's style as the original PV, the, the promotional videos and the trailers. Their style seems to be closer to the mangas, which exists in the middle of sorts of the original light novel, just round and the anime versions very angular. So I think with this upcoming series, they're going to strike the, as good of a balance as they can. One aspect of this original anime version of Spice and Wolf, though, that remains excellent is, of course, the voice acting. In both dubs, I really have to hand it to the voice actors for Lawrence and Holo. They have excellent chemistry. Of course, some of the audio clips I have included are the English version, because it's easier to get across uh, Brina Palencia's performance as Holo with how she interpreted and paid respect to Ami Koshimizu's performance. J. Michael Tatum in the English version, I think, perfectly brings across Lawrence's dry wit and kind of wry sense of humor. Again, to compliment Jun Fukuyama, both of these guys just pretty much just play it straight as sort of a snarky merchant kind of guy. But Lawrence does soften a lot over the series, particularly in season two. Season one is, of course, the beginning of the journey and like their first real tests of the relationship and kind of the trust between Lawrence and Holo is being built. Season two, I think, does a lot more if you want to explore the relationship uh, or like the maintained relationship between Lawrence and Holo, kind of like how they understand each other and work with each other. Season two is much more of the hangout vibe. And again, just in both dubs, these actors have excellent chemistry, which makes the developing relationship between these characters feel very natural as it is a long journey over time. Spice and Wolf is also a very funny series. You know, Lawrence and Holo are two very clever individuals who like to engage in wordplay and keep the other on their toes. The silliness and jokes also feel very genuine in this regard, and it just goes the distance for further making these characters feel like actual people. This is an extremely tightly written show, not just with the economic side of things. Like, the character conversations are so layered, you can't take your attention away for a minute, or else you'll certainly miss something. 
And of course, I didn't talk too much about the voice actors aside from our, in terms of side characters, but it was just another thing for time. And again, given the very episodic nature of the series, a lot of these characters are only around for three episodes or so, and then we possibly never see them again. But our guest voice actors are all uniformly excellent, which is a good reason to stick around for the ending credits of this show, other than, of course, the wolf whistling song, which is, again, it's a great song. I, so I do want to give a little bit of brief lip service here. Uh, look up for some characters played by uh, Daisuke Namikawa. He, uh, you say, from Lupin the Third. You know, he's Goemon from Lupin the Third. You also have, from the English side, we have John Bergmeier, who was a head writer at Funimation for almost 20 years. And so he brought a lot of the scripts, particularly of this time period, to life. Uh, also, take a look at Chuck Huber's in this anime who's one of my favorite English uh, voice actors ever since Full Metal Alchemist as Shao Tucker. Uh, also, Androids 13 and 17 from Dragon Ball. Back on the Japanese side, we have a veteran, uh, Hochu Otsuka, the voice of Jiraiya from Naruto and Boruto. Of course, obviously, the music is excellent as well as from the songs, very few songs that I've been able to play in this episode. I keep music playlists on YouTube, Spotify, you know, etc. And Spice and Wolf is in the rotation for my anime playlists, Always brings a grin to my face whenever a Spice and Wolf track comes on. My mood, my mood, <laughs> I don't know, how did I say mood? My mood is instantly lifted. I think if you were to, if I was to try and compare this to a currently airing series, at least for this episode's uh, air date, you can look to shows like Free Ren, Beyond Journey's End to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. As Free Ren is also, of course, a journey with a, definitely a stated, but also kind of a vague destination. It's a heavy emphasis on character drama as well, character relationships, but Free Ren is also a series of meetings and partings with, again, side characters are all uniformly excellent, but we're not going to see some of these guys for more than an episode or two. And all of these meetings and partings flesh out a larger narrative. You know, Free Ren is another very smartly written series that has a unique interpretation for its genre. Of course, it's obviously more swords and sorcery than Spice and Wolf, but I think if you enjoy Free Ren as it's currently blowing up on the anime charts as of this episode, I think there is a case to be made for, if not this next iteration of Spice and Wolf, if you have the time to go check out this original iteration of Spice and Wolf anime. And Spice and Wolf is a series, of course, that's enjoyable for all the adults in the room as well. You know, you, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. You know, you have the classic bait and switch maneuver of Spice and Wolf's reputation on its face for, you know, naked wolf lady in a story about economics, particularly back in the day when this first season was being produced by a studio that was known for, you know, the cheaper fan service titty shows on top of the 18 plus content. Spice and Wolf does have that reputation and, you know, it's not afraid to be horny on main at times, but this is more on the manga side than it is on at least this version of the anime. Again, the first two episodes have the most nudity really in the show. And like I said, Holo is a Barbie doll. So it's, yeah, it kind of cheapens the first impression, I guess. I am kind of seeing this attitude a little bit all over again with this new ad ad adaptation by Studio Passion, also a studio known for towing the line with its content. However, this time we have fans of the original animation on top of the two sets of completed works on paper, also Wolf and Parchment, the sequel series, as well as the director returning to, you know, redo his original interpretation of the anime series with the full script laid out in front of him. So I do think that this upcoming version of Spice and Wolf 
will be a more complete saga this time around. At least I hope to. And so if you haven't experienced Spice and Wolf anime, manga, or otherwise, I only ask that you give this show a chance and or just wait for Studio Passion's adaptation if you don't want to go back and watch an anime from the 2000s. There's a reason Spice and Wolf has stuck around for almost two decades at the time of this recording. And if anything, I hope you found the production story of this particular anime outing as interesting as I did. And a true joy of me doing this podcast and this episode in particular is, of course, discovering new facts about an anime that I really just enjoyed purely for its face value and its story and haven't really dove much beyond that. And all I ever had to do was just dig a little deeper to gain a newer understanding and appreciation for what is truly a unique piece of fiction and one of the more satisfying love stories I've had the pleasure of experiencing. So once more, as we uh, reach the end of today's podcast, if you like this episode, I would appreciate it if you left a comment in the Spotify comment section below or drop a review from whatever platform you're listening from that might support reviews. Please tell me what you think of the show. I love reading the feedback. It all goes back into making this show that much better. If you would like, please follow along on our Instagram page and our threads page at Treehouse Anime Pod, all one word. And feel free to join our Discord server by following our link in the show notes or through the Instagram bio. Again, our Discord server is absolutely free to join. We have a great community. We're very open and we would love to have you. Next month, you can look forward to, of course, a new slate of shows. And I'm trying something a little bit different for my next episode. Look forward to it on February 7th as I cover the most modern series on this podcast to date. The delightfully quirky musical series from fall 2022, Bochi the Rock. So thank you for listening. Stay safe. And of course, watch more cartoons.